Are you attending Shop Talk? If you are, I hope that you're ready for the AI-driven future of commerce. If not, you can get ready by joining us and our friends from IM Digital, a leading retail experience agency, to learn about the future of commerce. You can join their March 18th event taking place at Shop Talk exclusively with your invite from Future Commerce. Find out more today at events.imdigital.com. Future Commerce is brought to you by Vertex. Vertex is the leader of tax technology solutions and services for corporations worldwide. They're trusted by over half of the Fortune 500. Vertex Cloud meets sales and use tax solutions for businesses of all kinds. Visit them online today at vertexsmb.com. Welcome to Future Commerce, the podcast about cutting edge and next generation commerce. I'm Brian, and today... Uh, I have a, a very special co-host with me uh, back yet again, Ingrid Millman. Thanks for being on the show with us, Ingrid. Hey, Brian. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you too. And uh, we are without Philip today. Uh, he is off uh, keynoting a conference in the UK. So uh, have fun in in, uh, in London, Philip, uh, Philip and family. Um, but... What I would really like to kick the show off with today, uh, Ingrid, you have some really big news and I'm super excited to be announcing this on the show. So <laughs> I'll let you, I'll let you announce it. Thank you. Yes. So I uh, just took a new role, very exciting new role at Elf Cosmetics, and I will be the vice president of e-commerce and customer experience. Um, so really great because they are such a forward thinking brand. They are a, basically the ruler of value and prestige cosmetics in one. And I'm so glad to be a part of this really, really talented team. Um, they're based in Oakland, but I'll be running the New York office. Um, so a little bit of bicoastalness happening. Um, and I think the way that they're looking at going into e-commerce more heavily with digital marketing and um, the concept of putting in the customer experience under the same umbrella with e-commerce and digital marketing is just really important. And I think actually we'll end up talking about some of these topics on today's show. So yeah, exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. That's so exciting. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see, you know, how, you know, what, what that, um, what you're bringing, to, you know, to Elf, and I, I, I think Elf already has such a, a strong, amazing brand, and have done has done so much for cosmetics. Um, so it'll be really cool to see your energy and creativity applied there, and just what everything that comes out of that. Definitely super exciting. Same, thank you. Yeah, so we've got uh, some really interesting topics to cover today, and uh, I can't wait to get your opinions on some of this stuff. Um, but let's uh, let's go ahead and kick it off. I I, I wanted to. Um, you had a really interesting topic that you wanted to cover on the show today, and I thought it was super interesting as well. Uh, but that's basically, you know, 
the the direct to consumer mindset versus legacy brands and some observations you've had over the the past years of having been involved in in you know seeing this unfold and being a part of this unfolding so um i'll let you kind of kick it off from here sure yeah i mean you you actually you set me off on this path because we were talking about all of these the retail apocalypse and what's happening and what these new brands are doing and how you know, retailers responding, not just to like Amazon coming in, but in general, a shift in consumer thinking. And that sort of set me on this world, my, my tirade that I do sometimes between uh, thinking about what direct to consumer brands and ultimately that mindset is doing and, and how legacy brands are. Some brands are trying to keep up and, and actually doing a great job of it. And, and some brands haven't really been able to catch the wave. So um, one of the things that I've observed is this buzzword, which <laughs> back to our original podcast, um, the buzzword a few years ago was data-driven analytics, right? And brands that are Still a buzzword, totally, <laughs> totally. But it was like, you know, two, three years ago, the they started getting a lot of press around being data-driven, data-driven. And all these legacy brands decided they needed to be data-driven. And what they did was invest in gathering just tons and tons of data. And so much so that you just got to a point where you were like data fatigued. It was like, I literally know every single data point about every single thing. And what I think is sort of, yeah. And, and what I think is, right. I it's like, that. oh, it's like, right. I have <laughs> so much data. I, I, there's not anything more than I could possibly know. And now I'm here. So now what, right. Whereas I think where brands may have missed the opportunity is not just understanding like, every single data point that's possible, but it's more about what your customer is using to make a decision. Like what is that sweet spot? How many times do they need to be exposed to your brand? How, what other brands are they considering? Like these, these all just seem very, very basic, but it wasn't created as the framework to understand what your customer, how your customer is being introduced to your brand, how your customer thinks about your brand. Um, and so I think that's the piece that some legacy brands who, who are sitting on all these like mountains of data should start to carve through, like start to really get data scientists or data analysts who understand how to create these patterns and learn about the decision-making rather than just collecting data. I love that. And there's there's two episodes that we've done that I that you're just taking me straight back to. Um and um one of them was actually the uh recorded at the same time as our first episode together, the one with Chris Homer. Um and uh, I would definitely refer all of our listeners to go check that episode as well. Actually, both of those episodes out, um, they were both recorded at Etail East or West um, back uh, in February. And um, Chris's team at ThreadUp, um, I think that they're doing a really good job of doing exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, aligning around what what actually matters to the customer. And the way that they've done that is they've actually set up cross-functional teams that are that are like more small they're smaller and they're more focused and they have a lot of ownership around their particular points and so it 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 gives it gives um thread up and uh, i think a leg up you know in that they've they've 
built out structure to address data points that actually matter and brought together everyone around that data, not just specific specific, you know, sort of data people. <laughs> um, right. So smart. Yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely refer everyone back to that episode. And then the other episode that I thought um, was was um, a good one to refer back to is our episode with Method and Mode. Um, and that was with Rachel Swanson. And uh, Rachel um, talked about data lakes um, and like how to deal with them. And, and Rachel's actually, so she did a market research, um, that, that we, uh, that we work with her on, um, or work with method and mode on, uh, around future commerce and, you know, what, what we needed to do to improve as a podcast and, you know, just data about our, our listeners and what was important to them. And, uh, I, I, I think that her skill set which is sort of, I think, what you're getting at, um, is is absolutely essential. Is interpreting that data, understanding what data points mean what, and then and then finding out what actually matters. Um, and so, having someone sort of sit in the voice of the customer chair, um, uh, you know, is is absolutely essential to success in being data driven you can say you're data driven if you collect a ton of data but then if you if you you know if you just have these giant lakes of data with with insane amounts of data points that are just all sitting out there with no meaningful mm-hmm. relevance to anything that you're doing that's just a complete misunderstanding of what being data driven actually means totally. um, at least that's my view couldn't agree more yeah no i i, I, I think um you know, you 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 were saying earlier in the pre-show like how how some brands are doing a, a good job as well. You know, beyond ThreadUp, um, maybe what are some of those brands that you feel like are doing a good job with us? Yeah, I mean, I was I was sort of thinking about them in terms of the other buzzword of like building social media, right? And so you need the data, and you need to understand where your customer is and how they're thinking of you. And then, okay, so now you have that, which is no small feat, but congratulations, you've gotten there, right? And then figuring <laughs> out how do we um, build our marketing structures to accommodate this and to and to really sort of um, build on it. And a lot of times you'll see these direct consumer brands, these newer brands coming out and they're really strong on social media. And the legacy brands will sort of sit up and take notice and they'll say, wow, this brand has so many followers and oh, wow, they get so many likes on all of their messages. Let's build every single one of our initiatives around building followers and then tracking how many people like this one image that we post. And um, I think on the surface, it makes it makes sense on, to, to try and do it that way. But I think what they're missing here is really the connection that social media affords, not just like this tracking of a horse race of followers and likes, right? And so figuring out how to build your teams around establishing a connection between your brand and your consumers is the main focus of ultimately marketing, but certainly with social media being the the biggest tool that marketers have ever had access to. So one of the best examples I've ever seen of this is like Glossier. Um, They have a Slack channel um, and it's 
about a hundred users and they basically, they're just super users, people who absolutely love the brand, who've been there from the very beginning. And they announce new products there first. They ask they're constantly engaging with those customers and just having a one-on-one conversation. But then they're also allowing the customers to interact with each other and build this community together. And that's something that you can't track with like followers or likes, right? Remember, it's a closed group. It's not public, but they're really creating this like cemented relationship with each other as a group and as a connection to the brand. And I just think that's such a great example of how a really, really smart direct-to-consumer brand uses social media. Yeah, I love that. Like using Slack or like Discord or, you know, another one of these tools to to build a connection to your customers and also like sort of have them, you know, be an actual community. Um, and more mm-hmm. than just a customer, but a community. We, we interviewed um, Michelle Cordero Grant from Lively at Shop Talk. And she talked a lot about this as well. Uh, you know, Lively actually, um, they, you know, they even reached out to some of their followers and like went and met with them in person and like, uh, you know, f- flew them out and like had like kind of a, a customer summit of sorts or, you know, getting, getting feedback from their customers and building a community. And, um, or and maybe I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating what that was. I, I, <laughs> I would need to go back and listen again, but effectively they had some in-person interaction with their customers. And so, um, I think you're absolutely right. Like getting, getting feedback from, from users and, and customers that are, are very engaged and helping foster community through social media and using those data points. It's almost like the argument between like uh, regarding reviews, like um, I've got a, uh, uh, a friend over or a, a coworker, um, uh, uh, Tony Cirelli, who I think we've mentioned on the show before. And he, he always talks about how he hates reading like just mm-hmm. straight up, reviews online. Um, he much prefers to go find like uh, sets of experts or people who are really in the know and hear their opinions about products before making a purchase. Um, I feel like that sort of applies here as well. Like the, he, 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 his view is that, you know, online reviews, like it's very difficult to just take an aggregate or, or like, you know, to trust someone that has very different values than you do. Um, and, and, and he, he would prefer an expert opinion than sort of the opinion of the masses. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's like, you know, two different sets of data that you've got, you've got sort of your more general generic data. That's sort of like just a, you know, a compilation of your users, but you then like, like Glossier, you've got a much more specific set of data that you, you know, and you need to balance those two points. I think that that's uh, definitely agree, but, but I think foster both of them. Um, Pretty interesting. It's just the, it's, it's just the connection I feel like with, with brands and social media that needs to be focused on. It's like, it's not about the followers or the likes that you're getting on your posts. It's, it's really just about like building trust and there's so much more at stake and so much more 
um, opportunity, I would say, to connect with your customers. But then why I say that it's at stake is because it's, you know, you can screw it up really quickly and really easily, but you can also make something really special. Agree. No, that's a really good point. Um, nice. I think that, I think that you're, you've actually called out something really important here as well in that you can really screw this up because (laughs) if you, if you put too much emphasis on a specific data point or you, or you, you, you start in connecting with your customers in a really false way, it's going to really it's going to really turn them off to you. And, and like, that's easy to do. I think, um, it, you know, consumers today, they have so many options and they're also a lot more in tune with authentic connection, I think, than, than customers of the past. Um, simply because we do have a lot more data about the companies that we're, we're buying from. And there's a lot more... Um, you know, uh, visibility, uh, and, 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 um, uh, you know, thoughtful purchasing that's happening, um, as a result of that data and, and, you know, shopping on the internet. Um, and so if you, if you approach this in a way that I think, you know, makes your customers feel like they're being used or, you mm. know, is, is not an authentic, like, you know, we actually care what you think sort of way, then, Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right. It could really turn turn off maybe even some of your best customers or advocates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. People are really sensitive to those things. Yeah, I think it's been a, a trend of a topic on the show and we'll continue to talk about um, what it looks like to properly interact with your data to build connection with your customers. Um, but another topic that I wanted to get into um, was... Uh, let's talk about store openings and closings because there's been some more, uh, you know, data that's come out recently. A lot of a lot of interesting data points coming around this, uh, and we've talked about it a little bit this year already. But there was one story that kind of perked my ears up a little bit, and um, that I thought that was pretty interesting, and it just made me jump into more data around this uh, all over again, but Burlington is opening 50 new stores, <laughs> um, which was like interesting to me. I've never owned anything from Burlington. I have been inside a Burlington store before. Um, have you ever been inside a Burlington before? I have. Um, I, I love a deal. <laughs> so right? some, sometimes too. when I like, I need a new pair of yoga pants. I'll sometimes go there and just check it out. Future Commerce is brought to you by Vertex. Vertex provides cloud and on-premise solutions that can be tailored to specific industries for every major line of tax, including sales and use, income, value added, and payroll. Vertex Cloud is the SaaS solution that automates sales and use tax, including calculation and returns. With multiple service levels and flexible pricing models, Vertex Cloud meets the sales and use tax needs for businesses of all sizes. From recognizable brands like Honda, Pepsi, Verizon, and small businesses the world over. Find out more today at vertexsmb.com and be sure to mention Future Commerce Podcast to get 15 months for the price of 12. Once again, that's vertexsmb.com.
I think a lot of people love deals, which is probably why Burlington is opening stores. Um, but it just kind of made me think like, uh, you know, Burlington's probably made some really smart financial decisions and hasn't overexpanded their retail footprint. And that has allowed them to, you know, find opportunities to open stores. Um, and I can't even think about where the nearest Burlington is to me, which is probably a good sign for them. Totally. In that, you know, they, they, they clearly haven't over retailed <laughs> yeah. or they haven't uh, over, over opened. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we talk a, a ton about stores closing um, and we've talked a little bit about why they're closing, but I started to kind of have a new theory about this a little bit. Um, and my new theory, and there's an interesting article, this is actually from back in March, um, it's from CB Insights, and we'll link it up in the show notes. But it actually shows a list of 68 uh, bankruptcies in retail since 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and just and kind of gives a little bit of commentary on why um, each one of these companies went belly up. And, and then I was thinking, well, <clears throat> a lot of the store closings that we've been experiencing are actually just a result of people filing bankruptcy, right? right? And so it's not that... In store, in store is having issues. It's that there's a whole set of retailers that are, that are out there that are just not cutting it in any way. It's not. It's not about like uh, in store shopping being an issue. It's about retailers making really bad financial decisions or branding decisions. And so I started going through these one by one, and I was like, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't care about this brand. I don't like, there's no reason for this brand to exist or I'm not surprised that they went bankrupt. And so when you start going through it, you're like, yeah, these are just a bunch of irrelevant companies. Like if you, and (laughs) you're looking at things like Mattress Firm and Brookstone and, um, you know, jewelry companies, which, you know, there's just a million of those. And, um, you know, and companies that have made some really bad financial decisions, like, um, you know, well, there's a, there's a few of them on there, but, um, things remembered, like I have, I've, I haven't shipped at things remembered for like 12 years. Like it's just really no surprise that these brands are going belly up. And so it doesn't, it's just such a, I, I, I don't know if it's overbranding or it's Philip and I talked about this in, in, um, the most, uh, or maybe two episodes ago, but like, there's just a bunch of brands that never like actually updated their yeah. brand. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly 100% the, the point is that they, they didn't update their brands because they just got fat and happy. They didn't have anyone competing with them. They didn't have the internet where that made it really easy to just get something engraved really quickly. Um, they, and then they stopped thinking about innovating their products too. They just would either keep the same products that they've had for a million years, or they would introduce 1 billion new products every season that just made it impossible for customers to like understand what the brand is supposed to stand for, who they're trying to attract, what, you know, like a lot of the new direct consumer brands that I think have done really well have figured out that simplicity is a really great way to make it really clear what your value proposition is to your customer. So for example, like, um, Harry's razors, right. It was like, 
you go into any right. CVS or Walgreens and you see like just an entire aisle of razors, razors for, I don't even know, a million different reasons. Harry's was like, we have a razor. It's good. You should buy it. Right. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. <laughs> and then the same thing with Casper, you know, like you think about mattress firm, right? There's literally, if, there was one time I'll never forget. I was driving, it's going to visit um, a brand that I really like in uh, like a headquarters. I was in Chicago, but like a suburb just north of Chicago in like Skokie, Illinois. Shout out to Skokie. Um, and there was a mattress firm <laughs> across the street from another mattress firm. And then if you drive, and if you drive four oh my gosh. streets down, I think you'll, I think you'll know, you're, you'll know where I'm getting at, right? There was another mattress firm. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, someone oh my gosh. some terrible decisions and it's just out here in the open 20 minutes from like one of the biggest cities in the world, Chicago. And there are like four mattress firms within one mile. And then <laughs> it was just, it's crazy. That's just crazy. It's and it's crazy. a similar thing with like, you know, you'll see, <laughs> yeah. I think there's Walmart has also announced that they're closing some stores, but they realize they're not just closing stores. You know, obviously Walmart's doing great. They're closing stores because they're competing with themselves. And so people aren't not going to Walmart. They're just not going right. to that Walmart. They're going to the other Walmart. So it's like, why do we need to invest in this real estate and, and, and all of the overhead that it takes to have a retail store? So I think there's like a lot of factors, but my two that I always go back to is, you know, making sure that you're not over retailed, making sure that there's not a mattress firm across the street from a mattress firm across the street from a mattress firm. And then also making sure that you're offering just <laughs> simplicity and solving an actual problem for a customer or inspiring them or, you know, giving them something yeah. new and exciting, but that's also understandable and relatable. I think that's so good. Such good advice. Um, and, you know, especially in such a branded world right now with so many different brands that have so many different ways that getting at customers that you might already have, like you have to have a clear value prop like that. Um, yeah. And we've talked about peak branding before and I've, you know, I've talked to Robin Lewis about peak branding and, you know, there's, and there's just, it's so easy to introduce a brand now. Um, it's, it's just, it, you have to have a clear voice. You have to have a clear vision and, you know, you've got to be able to, I mean, <laughs> to connect with your customers. <laughs> um, totally. another thing that I was thinking about, about all these closed store, store closings and I, you, you nailed something, um, Walmart, you know, having data, that that helped them understand that their Walmarts were actually competing with each other. Um, and I think back to when I lived in Springfield, Missouri, and there were like 11 Walmarts serving Springfield, Missouri. This is not an exaggeration. Um, and actually, they were all very well, uh, <laughs> very well shopped. Springfield, Missouri loves Walmart. Um, mm -hmm. It's only like, you know, uh, an hour north of the headquarters. So, um that's a, it's a, but it's like a, it's like the bedroom community for Walmart. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, the thing I was thinking about, look at like, um, um, was it, uh, uh, some news just came out about Bath and Body Works and there was a bunch of news about them 
closing stores and they're closing 24 stores. But guess what? They're actually opening 46 new stores. Um, and so it's really like this shift in where stores are being placed and actually taking action on probably what is new and better data from stores. As we get better at tracking data within retail stores, there's, there's new data points that are helping us make decisions to be able to understand whether or not that store is being effective. Yeah. And they're also remodeling several other stores. Um, and I forget exactly how many that was. Like, um, I think it was like a hundred and something, 170 stores roughly that they were remodeling. And so being able to take this new data that we have and apply that to where stores should exist, what they should look like, how they should feel. Um, you know, we're seeing this with outdoor voices right now. Like they're completely readjusting their stores based off of, um, you know, their online and, and, uh, and offline data that they have. And there's a great story in ad week about this that will go in the show notes as well. But, um, it's just, a, you know, I think that that new level of, of data, data in stores and, and then combining that with data online and, and, you know, I mean, we talk about data lakes, but, you know, this is helping us make better, better decisions about where stores should exist, how they should look and what should be in them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this. I think there's a, there's a tool that I've been using, um, with Google, and it's basically their teams understand what all, because obviously there's Google Gmail and, and Maps and everything. So Google has a pretty good understanding of where people are physically at, not just um, on their web browsing behavior, but through their devices. Um, and so they've actually been able to start like creating maps for how, you know, we would look at it as click share uh, on, on e-commerce, but it's basically like share of footsteps, right? So, you know, there's always like the retail mm -hmm. trackers where you can track how many people walk in and out of a mall or in and out of your store. But it's the way that Google looks at it is share of footsteps of qualified customers, right? So customers that have been to your website, nice. customers that have been to your competitor's website. So it's starting to be able to understand, okay, there's a lot of footsteps here, but that's because there's a cheesecake factory next door and everyone's just waiting for an hour or whatever. And so they're maybe going in and out and that's probably not a necessarily qualified footstep. Um, but they're able to actually give you a ranking within the index of their, um, like store tracking data to tell you, you are getting, you know, you are below index for this particular store within this shopping district with your target customer, which is just super helpful. And I think probably a lot of what that's, that's <laughs> yeah. so cool. and that's, that's probably, <laughs> you know, the, the, the brands that have figured out how to use data to actually tell a well-rounded and colorful story about their customers is a perfect example of how, how to use data. And otherwise you're just sitting on pounds of this is how many footsteps and this is how many people came into the mall. You know, it's like, right. that's how you qualify the data and, and connect it to making decisions. And so brands like, you know, looks like Bath and Body Works is taking this data and actioning on it. Yeah, totally. Which is really cool to see. I so agree. Yeah. I, I bet you like, I always saw the story about um, uh, Lululemon's new, Lululemon's new, um, 
the flagship they're about to open in Chicago. I don't know if you saw this. This is pretty interesting. They, yeah. they, they're, they're opening a 20,000 foot, uh, um, flagship in Chicago in July. And it's going to have multiple yoga studios, meditation space, a juice bar, um, and areas for community gatherings. So like getting back to that whole community building topic. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. Obsessed with this. Right. Exactly. Um, I, I bet you they're using some of that in-store data, things like, you know, foot traffic and footsteps and, and, you know, these new data points dwell time. How, why do people dwell in stores? How long do they dwell in stores when they're interacting with different things um, and, or at diff- different spots? How does that dwell time affect their purchasing, ha- you know, patterns? Um, putting in a, a, a juice bar um, and a yoga studio clearly is going to increase time in store. Does that mean that people are going to be purchasing more stuff? I think the data is probably pointing to yes. Um, and it's interesting, you know, uh, 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 just in, in, in line with the whole store opening and store closing things, the CEO, uh, Calvin McDonald was asked if this was a, a you know, sort of a, a, a bellwether as to whether or not there's going to be less of a focus on mall locations. And his answer was, well, it's definitely a test. Um, Hmm. and so I think that because we can track that data now, you can run a test like this and it's going to have a meaningful impact on, on, you know, your entire, uh, uh, brick and mortar footprint strategy, which is so cool. So good. It's, it's really smart and it's, it's checks all the boxes in terms of like creating relevancy with your customer, showing that you're there for them in, you know, their whole lifestyle, decision-making process with the juices and okay, well, you're in a Lululemon, you're obviously somewhat interested in yoga. Um, and so why not throw a yoga studio in there? And it also, I think helps to cement who you are in that community too. It's like maybe someone who's never bought a pair of Lululemon pants and thinks it's maybe too expensive for them or whatever takes a class and realizes that, oh, wow, these people are really serious about yoga and they're not just like after my, my money, they probably, you know, they might have this great product. And so I do think it's not a great leap to, to invest in having like a bigger experiential moment within your store. Cause I do think it, it sort of like shows your customers that you're standing behind what, what you are. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. What What are some stores that you like to, you know, that, that, you know, when you go to a city, like, what do you like to go check out? Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. I do, I do travel quite a bit within the United States and, you know, a, a new city is always interesting, new, uh, thing to try and tackle. Right. And so I have a little trick that I do, which is I'll go on Google maps and I'll look for the, what I call like the new anchor stores. So if there's a Warby Parker or a blue bottle coffee or an outdoor voices, or, Hey, you know, probably an Apple store too. Like those are all signifiers that those are places that I'm going to probably want to hang out in. Right. They'll probably be a good mix of like younger people with new ideas or, or, um, interesting tastes or things like that. And so I look at that as the new anchor stores, whereas before in, you'd have like a mall and the anchor store would be a Macy's or a Nordstrom. And that's what would, would 
catch you there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's probably why Nordstrom <laughs> is investing in things like guide shops now, where it's like they're putting them in next to more interesting brands. They're getting out of malls. They're getting into smaller spaces. That's a, that's a really good point. Like you're starting to see these 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 anchor brands sort of attract different different type of purchasers and um, you know, the, the next and new, um, and uh, a couple episodes we talked about woke commerce <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. and, uh, and so I, I think that's really interesting. We're seeing a lot of migration away from malls in general being that anchor. Malls are no longer the anchor. It's about specific brands and where they're at and what yes. we're in a yeah, that's that's a really really good point. I love that point. Um, and yeah, I think that there are definitely like a set of brands that you know that I would consider in that range as well. Um, and so yeah, like like here in Seattle, like for me, you know that I was like I I love Filson. I think Filson's really cool. Um, and that would be a, you know kind of a, a an anchor brand for me here, um, just with the sort of Seattle aesthetic. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, no, there's lots of those those new brands that are becoming the 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 sort of choice for people to go spend time and and Filson has that. Like if you go to their flagship in Seattle, they also have space for people to spend time and you know have an experience um together, um, build community. Um and yeah. they actually they're to the point where they're doing manufacturing in that store. Like their whole bottom floor is actual manufacturing, which I think is super cool. Yeah. Oh man. So that that's actually really similar back to the Lululemon and how how they're doing cool stuff is um, they have a lab. Um, so you can actually there's there's one of them on Bond Street in New York, which is when you're visiting New York, you have to just walk around. It's such a weird and cool street. It's just north of Soho. It's like three blocks north and it's this old cobblestone, still cobblestone street, but they've decided to make it really luxury and sort of like this cool combination of old New York sort of Soho vibe with lofts, but then also really new and futuristic feeling. And it's not a place that you would expect to see a Lululemon like proper retail store, but they actually put their Lululemon lab in on that block and it's a concept store and like you, you like you were saying there there's a in the back they actually create clothes and they have a new drop every single week for people to come in and you can see what they're experimenting with you can give them feedback on it you can buy those garments right then and there and i think the last time i was in there the woman said that only like five to 10% of what they actually make there makes it to, you know, any larger retail footprint for Lululemon, but it's definitely the place that you can drop in and like see the innovation for yourself, which I think is a really, another really cool way to interact with the brand and, and to show that they're being thoughtful about what they're offering and not just like, you know, hatching up a billion different products every single day and, and just throwing a million things at the wall and seeing what it tastes like, uh, tastes like, <laughs> feels <laughs> like. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I, I do think it's another way of, of staying relevant. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. Next time I'm in New York, I'm going to head down there. Um, was it bon- you said Bond Street? <laughs> I'm headed there. <laughs> Bond Street. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. 
Uh, I, I love that kind of experience. And it's actually, I feel like that's such a stark contrast to Hudson Yards, something, you know, it's a, which is something we haven't really talked about on the show at all yet. <laughs> um, but uh, mm. well, I might have to save that for another day because I think we are running out of time here and fast. So I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show again, Ingrid. It's always such a pleasure to have you on here, your insight and talk with you about really cool stuff that's happening retail right now um and we're looking forward to having you again on soon and uh, uh i just love the your sort of regular contributor voice that you've brought to the show um it's been it's been great yeah i love it it's super fun talking to you guys Thanks. And uh, to you, our listeners, uh, we always want to hear your feedback and build a connection with you. So please, um, anywhere you can find us, whether that be on futurecommerce.fm or on LinkedIn or on Twitter or Instagram or any of the places that you can find us, um, we'd love to hear your feedback about today's show and joining the conversation about what's driving store closings and openings and how to deal with data and and have a good data strategy and um, build connections with your customers. So don't hesitate to drop us the line and provide us with some feedback about what you're thinking about the show. Um, With that, uh, retail tech moves fast, but future commerce is moving faster. Thanks so much for listening. 